0: All right, Uh, we're going to have the message. I'm excited to share the message, uh, the Word of God with you today. Let's all open up our Bibles one more time. Let's turn to Hebrews. It's towards the end of the Bible. It's like one of the last ten books of the Bible, something like that. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1 through 13. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, the ESV. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for a good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. This is God's word. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for the privilege to speak to your people. I pray, oh God, that you would, uh, that you would help me now. God, uh, help me to yeah, enlarge my, my, my mind and my thoughts and my, and my heart in every way, so as to declare and proclaim And preach your word in all its fullness, with all faithfulness, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray for the hearts of everyone who's here, that you would awaken our hearts, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand, so that your word might bear 30, 60, 100-fold good fruit into our lives. So we pray your blessing on this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so as I was preparing this message for this week, there was about 15 messages that I wanted to preach uh, to you guys, but I only get 40 minutes, so uh, I'm only going to preach one today. I uh, praise the Lord. You guys are, you guys are blessed. You guys are lucky. But um, yeah, I think uh, just as a pastor, I, there's just so many things I want to uh, just, just, just show you guys. And teach you guys uh, from the Word of God, and this uh, the Word of God is so rich. But uh, it just felt like today, this passage on Hebrews twelve, on on God's discipline, on hardship and suffering. I thought uh, it would be a good word for many of uh, yeah of you guys here. So, yeah, you guys ready for this? This this kind of a it's kind of a heavier word. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, there might not be as many jokes uh, as usual. <laughs> If, if I make a joke here and there, feel free to laugh, uh, but, you know, it, you know, it's like suffering, right? It's a little, it's a little weightier topic, um, and we all know that, hey, life, life is pretty hard. Life is good, but life is also hard, and, you know, it's no different for the Christian. Uh, just because you believe in Jesus uh, doesn't mean that your life is all, you know, peaches and cream, right? It's still, it's still pretty tough, and, we, and we, uh, we go through some hard times. And sometimes, actually, God brings those things into our lives. And so I, I thought, uh, because every one of us goes through this, and we experience this, it's good for us to understand uh, better what the Bible teaches about this. Martin Luther, he was, uh, not Martin Luther, King. Uh, do you guys even know him? Because this is Australian? I'm just kidding. I'm right? just I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me. All right? Don't be mad. Okay, but uh, Martin Luther, right, he was, a, he was a Protestant reformer back in the 1500s. And, uh, yeah, he said the three things, there's three things that make a minister. Word, prayer, and suffering. And it's kind of like, I understand word and prayer, but, you know, suffering. Yeah, suffering. You know, that's what makes a man of God. That's what makes a person who's able to uh, speak life and bring life into people's lives. And so I think it's good for us to understand a little bit what the Bible has to say about this topic. So we're going to look at. Three things, okay, Uh, the meaning in hardship or discipline, God's discipline, the fruit of discipline, and the model of discipline, all right? So three things, the meaning in it, the fruit of it, and the model of it, okay? So first, let's look at the meaning, the meaning in discipline, the meaning in hardship. You know, the Bible is very realistic uh, about the way it portrays life, right? It's not all clean and tidy. The Bible is actually pretty messy. If you read a lot of the stories in the Bible, there's a lot of, like, some, like, messy, crazy stuff that happens if you actually read it. And, you know, the Bible's very realistic about life, and it portrays life as one that's in the desert. That's one of the metaphors that the Scriptures uses. It's, it's like a desert, right? Imagine a desert, okay? You know, Australia's got wonderful weather all year round, so uh, we, we don't know, you know, but in the desert, you know, imagine, like, the heat just just wearing you out okay the the sun just burning on you it's like you, if you ever if you ever bake something or cook something in the oven and and you open that up and you and then just you know that heat just it's like you're baking in that and you're going through hard times in the desert and the bible says hey that's one of the metaphors for hardship in life it's, it's like a desert right and you know a lot of times we feel like man that's that's what life is like there's pressures and temptations and afflictions coming at us from every direction and you know that's exactly the situation that the hebrews were in so hebrews were the ones that this book was written to uh, and you know they were facing some tough situations a lot of them uh, they had you know become christians and ever since they had become christians they were facing persecution Right? Some of them were being thrown in jail. Some of them were getting their homes and belongings, possessions taken away from them. And so they were facing a lot of hardship. And they're just thinking, man, this Christian life is hard. Right? I just want to give up. I just want to throw in the towel. You know, why am I facing all this persecution for being a Christian? Why am I going through all this? And, you know, they were growing weary and losing heart. And that's one of the dangers That's one of the greatest temptations as a Christian is losing heart. When you face hard times, when you face affliction, when you face hardship, is that you you lose heart and you just want to give up. And you see, this passage highlights two responses to God's discipline or his hardship. See, in verse verse 4, right? It says, My son, do not regard lightly or do not despise... The discipline of the Lord. So that's one response. You despise God's discipline. And number two, nor be weary when reproved by him. So the second response, you grow weary. Okay, so there's two general uh, uh, responses that that a person has to when God's, God brings affliction and hardship and discipline into our lives. Number one, you want to despise it. Okay, what does despising mean? Uh, you know, especially if, if you don't believe in God, right, you, you despise suffering, right? Because there's no meaning in suffering, you know. We're just we're just random molecules that kind of came together. We evolved, you know, whatever. And you know, so when suffering happens, it's, there's no meaning in it. It's just it's just random. You just go through it. You just you just suck. You know, you just suck it up. You grit your teeth. You get through it. You push through. But that's it. And you know, if you don't believe in God, you know, some some people who were not Christians they think, oh man, if there's a God and if if God. And he's in control of all things. But if he makes me go through this kind of hardship, this kind of suffering, I'm not going to believe in that God. There can't be, there can't be a God. And sometimes it's a temptation for even Christians, is to despise God's discipline. Say, God, why? Why are you bringing me through this? You know, what's, what's the purpose? What's the meaning in this, God? You know, I've been, I've been obeying you. I've been following you. I've been reading my Bible and praying, and I've been going to church. And, God, why are you bringing this into my life? And sometimes there's a temptation to despise God's discipline, to regard it lightly. All right, yeah, maybe Have you guys ever felt like that? You know, I, I, I felt this. Man, when, uh, I became—I think I became a Christian in college. I'm not sure. All right? Somewhere between the ages of 11 and 20. Somewhere between there. But... Uh, you know, I, when, I was in, when I was in uni, uh, I really became a fiery, fire Christian. And I, I felt the Lord calling me to full-time ministry. So I remember, like, God called me, and I was like, yes, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you call me, no matter what happens. And then I followed, and I went into full-time ministry. And during my couple of first years in full-time ministry, it was hard. And I remember just thinking to God, like, God, like, why are you bringing me through this? Like, I gave up. A lucrative career for you, Lord. I'm obeying you. I'm, you know, I gave up all this. I'm in full time ministry. Why are you bringing me through this, God? Why? And and that's a lot of times. That's what we think. We we despise God's discipline. God, what did I do, God? Why? Why are you bringing? I don't understand. So that's a temptation. Despising it because we think. I deserve better. I obeyed. I followed God. You deserve to give me a good life, Lord. Why am I going through this? And you despise it. You don't understand. But a second response is you grow weary. You're under God's hand of affliction, his discipline. And maybe you think, oh, I do deserve this. I I have sinned. I've rebelled against God. I've been far from him. So God is bringing this into my life to punish me. And you start to grow weary. If it it presses too hard into your life, if it lasts too long, you just, you start to grow weary. And you just want to throw in the towel. You want to give up. And see, these are the two temptations that we see. And Hebrews, this author is telling us, hey, my son. See, God, God only disciplines His children, right? And He says, Do not despise the Lord's discipline, nor be weary when reproved by Him. Why? For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. So, we shouldn't, we shouldn't despise it as if, God, why? Why would you do this? You know, I deserve better. Because God disciplines every son that he receives, right? Think about it. A father with his children, if a father does not discipline his child, then that child is going to grow up to be a spoiled little brat. And nobody's going to like that person. And they're going to have a lot of character flaws. And they're going to have a lot of troubles in life. You know what I'm saying? And so a good father who loves his child is going to discipline his child. And if the child's like, But why, why do you you know, like, why can't I go to my friend's birthday party? You know, why are you punishing me? Like, because you told a lie. You can't go. But who cares? You know, like, the the child might not understand. But out of love for the child, when the child does something wrong, the father's going to discipline that child. Out of love. Out of gentleness, too. Remember my sermon last week? I went gentleness. Okay, but, um, you know, so don't despise the Lord's discipline. But also don't be weary. You know what I mean? Don't, don't wi- wilt and wither away underneath it. Because it's, he loves you. And he's doing it out of love. He's not doing it out of punishment. There's a difference between discipline and punishment. Right? Punishment is when you're punishing a crime and you're bringing what, desert, what, what you deserve for the crime. For the wrong. Discipline. Think about a father's discipline with his son. It's not like punishment for a crime. It's to correct and to teach and out of out of a heart of love, right? So if you understand the heart that affliction comes from, when it comes into your life, then you're not going to despise it. And you're not going to grow weary. But you're going to understand and you're going to be able to endure. How many times did this passage say endure? Endure. That word endurance. Endurance is... A wonderful fruit of a christian 's life, but the only way it comes out is if you go through suffering you can 't learn endurance by living a peachy life. people who live peachy lives, a little bit of suffering man they start they start withering uh, i 'm sorry right no, but you know God brings us through different seasons, but the way He trains us to endure that word endure it 's like the idea of remaining under. Sometimes we just want to get out from underneath the suffering and the affliction and the discipline. But God wants to produce in us this amazing quality of endurance, the ability to remain under persevere. That's that's an amazing quality. When you when you meet someone who has that quality because they remained under the Lord's hand of affliction, and they've gone through those seasons. Man, there's a depth in their heart and their character and in their wisdom. You can't get that any other way. You see, the meaning in discipline, the meaning in hardship. It's not random. Right? See, what if you're an atheist? Then it's random. There's no meaning. In, there's no meaning in suffering. If you're, you know, some Eastern religions like Buddhism, right? Suffering is an illusion. It's not real. So you just kind of have to, you know, like train your mind. And so there's still no meaning in suffering there. But if there's a personal God who loves you and he's your father and everything that happens in your life is because he brings it into your life. Then there's meaning. None of our suffering is meaningless. No matter what it, it might be, He is the one who's bringing it into your life with a purpose. One of my favorite authors, I quoted him last week, David Pallison. He says, God's voice changes the meaning of every hardship. The sufferer's primal need is to hear God talking and to experience Him purposefully at work. That's what we need. When we're going through suffering, what you need most is to hear God's voice and to experience Him working in your life through that. And that's enough. I remember when I was doing that full-time ministry, I felt like I was dying. And I didn't understand why. And a couple years later, God gave me this passage. He gave me this passage. I remember just hearing the Spirit just speak speak to me through the passage. And the Spirit was just saying, "My son," and I started to cry. You know, I was like, "Oh man, God's doing this because I'm a son." It's like, "Don't, don't grow weary, Paul. Don't despise this. I'm treating you as my son. Remain under." And there's meaning in this. And I was, I was just like tearing and crying. I was by myself, right, in my car, right. So when I cry, I like to be by myself. Uh, so, you know, I don't really even cry in front of my wife too much. But, uh, you know, I was tearing and just it just changed everything. I didn't know why he brought it in, but I heard his voice. And I experienced him working through it. And I was like, Lord, that's all I need. That's all I need to get through this. Know that you're with me and that you're speaking to me. Changes everything. See, without God's voice, we blindly react. And our troubles obsess us. They distract us. Feels like we're grasping at straws. And all you hear, sorrow and confusion, broadcasting on all the channels. And you feel lost. You feel confused. You feel distressed. When you go through suffering, without God, without hearing his voice. That's what it's like. And it's hard. It's hard to feel like you go to God. Maybe, you know, God feels distant. You say your prayers, but it feels like robotic, feels rote. It's hard to feel any force from who God is sometimes. But when you go through this, when you go through discipline and hardship, Know that, hey, there's meaning. It comes from the Father's heart, a heart of love. And just remain under that. You know, we were made to look suffering in the eye, to grasp the fullness of that experience, and to bring it in hand to God, to cry out for refuge, to find comfort from the Lord. And to go through that experience—that's that's how we were meant to go through, discipline, suffering. All right, that's a whole different way of looking at it. See, there's meaning. There's meaning. In, there's meaning in discipline. There's meaning in hard. It's not meaningless, right? But the second thing we're going to see is the fruit of discipline. Okay, so there's something good that comes out of it. Right? See, you might be asking, you know, if. If God is all-powerful, if he controls all things, and he's also a loving God, then why on earth would he bring hardship into my life? That's not very loving. God, what? And this is, this is a big question. This is a big question. And the reason, you know, God doesn't do it because he's out to get us. God doesn't do it because he wants to punish us, like I said. But he does it out of love. And though we may not understand the full reason why he brings certain things into our lives, and we may not even fully understand until we get to heaven. Now, look at Job. He didn't understand why God brought that, all that suffering into his life. Job just had a revelation of God, and that was it. And that's all he needed. But from this passage, what we learn is one of the things we, that comes out of discipline is a holy life. Right? Verse 10. They, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is one of the ways that God brings holiness, righteousness, the peaceful fruit of what that looks like. This is the way he brings it into our lives. And there's no other way. That's why Martin Luther said, what makes a minister? The word and prayer and suffering. Praise be to God. You know, as a pastor. Um, and you see, God, you know, there's this idea that floats around that God's love for us is Unconditional. God loves us without conditions. But actually, that's that's not the full truth. See, God loves us just as we are. He receives us just as we are. But he loves us so much that he will not leave us the way we are. He wants to change us, transform us more and more into the image of Christ. And so he wants to make us holy. See, where we're proud, he wants to make us humble. Where we're rough and abrupt. He wants to make us tender and kind. Where we're greedy and tight-fisted. He wants to make us generous. Where we're critical, judgmental. He wants to make us gracious and large-hearted. You see, God is our work in our lives. He's remaking us into the image of Jesus. Just to be more like Jesus. And... You know, you know something? God, you can't just become more like Jesus just by hearing good sermons. I'm sad to say. Even my sermons. You can't just become more like Jesus just by praying and meditating on the word. These are good things. You should be doing them. But that's not enough. You also need suffering to become like Christ. Jesus also needed to suffer. Hebrews 5, eight says, Although He was a son he learned obedience through what he suffered. Uh, Jesus had to learn obedience? I, uh, I think Jesus was pretty good at that from the beginning. Well, uh, what the scripture says, what does that mean? Jesus, how, You can't learn obedience when things are only easy. If you only obey when it's easy and comfortable for you to do it, that's not learning obedience. Obe- learning true obedience is when you obey, when you don't get anything out of it. And you only obey just for God. And it's hard to obey. And it hurts. And you still obey because you love God. Just for God. Not because you're getting anything out of it. Not because you're benefiting. That's how you learn obedience. If you obey and it, and it benefits you and it makes your life better, then that's easy. Right? Just like Jesus, who had to learn obedience through what he suffered. In the same way, we have to suffer in order to learn a lot of things in our lives, and in order to grow. And so, one of the fruits, it's a beautiful fruit, this peaceful fruit of righteousness, this sharing in God's holiness, becoming more like God in his character. You can't do that. You can't grow in that apart from suffering. See, we don't know all the reasons why God brings hard times into our lives. But you can know at least one thing, that he's making you into something else. To a more beautiful version of yourself. More like Christ. The Bible talks about how God is like a gardener. And every branch, that's us, who belongs to him, he he prunes. he, He cuts off, cuts away the bad parts so that the life can flow to the good parts. Pruning is not pleasant. When God is like cutting away at different areas of your life and you feel like, man, you feel that pain under that knife. But you know, God's primary agenda for our lives is not to give us everything that we want or that we think we need. God wants to make us Beautiful and radiant and glorious. And you can't shortcut this process. C.S. Lewis, I love, I love C.S. Lewis. He has this quote, just read it. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you were not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. That's the glory of what God is doing in our lives. You thought he was trying to do this, you know, make this little cottage over here. And God's like, Your your vision is too small. I want to make you beautiful, I want to make you holy, radiant. That's what I'm doing. That's the fruit of hardship, of discipline. So if you know that, you can you can endure. You know that's that's that's, a, that's an encouragement to endure to remain under. You know it's it's not it's not pleasant to go through it still, but you hear everybody say right like if I had to go through that again I wouldn't but I'm thankful that I went through that. Because it's made me who I am. But you know, it's not it's not enough just to know that God is doing something beautiful in us. I mean, that's not that's not enough. That's not gonna get you through every experience, every affliction. See, like I said, we need to hear God's voice. Psalm one nineteen, I think it's verse ninety two, the psalmist, I love Psalm one nineteen couple of my life verses out of there but one uh verse 92 i believe it says i would have perished in my affliction if your word had not been my delight it's like ah, lord I, i was gonna die if your word didn't come to me if your word had not been my delight see we need to hear god's voice but where do we see and hear god's voice the clearest See, I want to talk about the model of hardship or discipline. And let's look at verse 1 through 4. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. How, how do you run with endurance? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, who himself endured. How? For the joy that was set before him. That's what it says. You see, Jesus, the scripture, Isaiah 53 says, Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. You know what I mean? Like, Jesus was a deep man because he, he, he knew about sorrow. He knew a thing or two about grief. I love how one writer puts it. He says, Jesus experienced the whole range of human experience. From the trivial irritations of family life to the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst pains of horror and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. And he was homeless. He had no money. He was lonely and misunderstood by everybody. He was abandoned by his closest friends. He was oppressed and convicted without a fair trial, mocked, ridiculed, a victim of injustice. When he was born as an infant, he was a refugee for his life, an outsider in his own hometown, beaten, scourged, crucified in public shame for all to see, and finally, at the end of his life, forsaken by his own father. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Do you know sorrow? Do you know grief? Jesus knows. He's well acquainted. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, has this quote, as sure as God puts his children in the furnace, he is in the furnace with them. Whenever God puts us through that furnace of affliction, he's right there with us. You see, to go through, to be able to go through our hardships and our sufferings and to endure, it's not just enough to know that, oh, God's doing a beautiful work in my life. We also have to know God is right here with me. He's acquainted with grief. He knows. He understands what I'm going through, and He's right here. Even though nobody else may know the depths of what I'm going through, Jesus knows. He's right here. And he will never leave me or forsake me. You see, only in Christianity do we have a God who suffered. Only in Christianity, no other religion, is there a God who was broken and was weak and was crucified, humiliated. He You think he doesn't identify with us? He became a human. God became a human, the whole range of human experience, he went through it. This is the kind of God he is. Only the Christian God. You see, in the ancient religions, you know, other Western religions like in Babylon and all these, you know, the gods, they were strong. They weren't weak. They, they fought each other. You know, some gods were stronger than others, but they were all strong. And they were powerful. And that's how the world came about. You know what I mean? A- any, any religion you look at, you don't see a God that's, that's hanging on a cross. Who's, who's weak. And, you know, some, you know, even Muslims say, how can you say that about God? How can Jesus be God? To say that God died on a cross, you know, that's blasphemy. And they don't even believe this. How can you say that about God? But you see, it's because we have a God of weakness that we know that He He's with us. You know, what I mean He's not distant, far off, looking up from heaven. No, he's right here, entered into the full experience of what we're going through. And there's this, you know, this this guy, Ed, Edmund Shiloto. And he wrote this uh, poem or song or something. And he fought in the world wars, and just saw a lot of brokenness, a lot of darkness. Right, fight in a world war—it's it's pretty dark. And as he was reflecting on Christ and who he was, this is what he said: "The other gods were strong, but Thou wast weak. They rode." but thou didst stumble to thy throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And no other God has wounds but thou alone. Every other God was strong, too strong. Only in Jesus do we have a God who suffered, who went through the same things that we are going through. And so we know, no matter what God puts us through, He's right there. He understands. And that'll get you through it. If you know God's presence, you hear His voice through your discipline, no matter what, or brings into your life, no matter how much you are under His hand of affliction, you won't despise it, you won't grow weary. You say, hey, God is doing this out of love. It comes from his heart to make me holy. And he's right there. Every step of the way. That's that's a pretty good God. That's a pretty good God. We may not understand why he'll bring different afflictions into our lives, but hey, that's enough. That will help us remain under, to endure. There's there's no God like our God. There's no God like our God. So I want to end with this exhortation. This passage ends. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Now that you know this, now that you know God's heart, in discipline, in affliction, strengthen your hands. Don't grow weary. Don't give up. Strengthen your hands. Strengthen your knees. Put what's lame. Put it back into joint. Do what needs to be done. Even when you feel like you have no strength, find strength in Christ through the Spirit and press on. And keep fighting. Don't give up. Don't despise. God is with you. All right, let's pray.